Well, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 19, verse 28. This is Red Letter Day, and we are looking at some of the sayings of Jesus on the cross. So John chapter 19, verse 28. This is a great scripture. Jesus is on the cross having a really, really bad day. Look at this. John chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. There's some key words here. It says, later, knowing that all was now completed. You've got to understand that Jesus lived his life not like many of us where we are thrown by circumstances. I call that circumstantial living. Thrown by things that are happening in this life and there's these emotional cries that come out. We, we kind of say things that we don't really mean or we mean things that we don't really say. Jesus, when he spoke, when he said things, it was calculated. He meant what he said. And a lot of what Jesus actually said, if you read through the Gospels, was messianic. His whole priority was to fulfill all of the messianic prophecies, a lot of this, if you look back to Psalm 22, you go back through Isaiah, go back through Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, you see a lot of these things actually relate back to things that had happened. We're talking about a Messiah to come. And when he said things, he was clenching the deal so to try and confirm to everybody, I am the one. So it says here, knowing, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. In the New King James Version, it says, I thirst, which is kind of what I want to give it as a title today. I thirst. You've got iPod. You've got iMac. You've got iGoogle. You've got uh, iLifeChurch.tv. <laughs> you've got I thirst. Okay, so we're talking about I thirst. It says a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a, on a stalk, uh, of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So we're looking at the words, I am thirsty, or in the New King James Version, I thirst. What does he mean when he says, I thirst? Well, what does Jesus actually mean when he says, I thirst? Because we know that he doesn't just say things without any reason. There's purpose behind that. And knowing that everything is now fulfilled and so that scripture would be fulfilled, he says this one statement, I thirst. There's got to be a reason behind that. In fact, if you go into Exodus chapter 17, you'll start to discover that there is a period in the Israelite history where they've come out of slavery, Jesus is on a cross. They've come out of slavery, out of captivity, Jesus is stuck on a cross. They come out of slavery, and as they come out of slavery, they are complaining about not having anything to drink. And what they actually say is, why have you brought us out of Egypt to cause us to die of thirst? I thirst is what they're saying. And Jesus, the word of the, the Spirit of the Lord back then through Moses was to lead them to a, a, an area where they could drink, would come out of a rock. We know that the rock of all ages is Jesus. Go to the rock and water will come out of the rock. And a covenant was made that day because the people complained, and this is a statement that they were complaining about, is God among us or not? Is God really here or not? And I think, my feeling, this is just my take on things down under this is my take on things 
I reckon Jesus said, I thirst, because he was trying to fulfill pro messianic prophecy from the Old Testament to say, you, what, you're wondering, uh, am I the one or not? Is this really the Christ or not? He's saying, I thirst in anyone. See, we, we, we need your version today to remember scriptures. We, we, we need our Bible. We've got to carry our Bibles around with us. We're not like the Jewish people who, who grew up knowing scripture who grew up rote learning. You weren't allowed to leave your house without reciting the commands and the laws that were on your doorpost. Overhead, you'd have them on your hand, on your, on, on, your, on your forehead. You had to memorize the scripture. So they knew as soon as Jesus said a phrase, they went, Exodus 17. So when he said, I am thirsty, that would have taken them all the way back to the Old Testament where the Israelites were complaining about being thirsty and they had to go to the rock to get a drink of water. And here's the rock on the cross saying, I am thirsty, in order to fulfill all Scripture, knowing that everything now is ready to be completed. He says, I thirst. And he says, I thirst to let everyone know, you're wondering, am I here or not? Here I am. Is it any wonder that the centurion soldier, later when Jesus actually died and the earthquake happened and the temple curtain was torn in two and everything collapsed and the centurion said, surely this was the Son of God. Is this the one or not? Here I am, Jesus says, I thirst. So I start thinking about that. I started thinking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where Jesus said, Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be filled. So obviously the whole kingdom of heaven is about a relationship with God, being in right step with God, and everything about that is to seek a life of righteousness. Now we're not righteous because of what we do, we're righteous because of what he did on the cross so now my inner thirst my hunger my appetite is quenched when i enter into a relationship with christ so he thirsts so that i could be satisfied so now i've got to figure out with my thirst where am i going to get that filled because my righteousness is not about i don't want to become who i am because of what i do now i do what i do out of who i already am because of what he's done it's this whole concept of I thirst. Have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever been like really, really parched? Really, really thirsty? You remember a time when like your tongue's sticking to the roof of your mouth? Mine kind of is right now. <laughs> you ever, <laughs> have you ever remembered a time when you're really, really seriously thirsty? Like not just like a little bit thirsty. Mm. If only I could share this with you. <laughs> this is good stuff. This is life church water. <laughs> Ever been really, really thirsty? Like crazy thirsty. I'm a surfer. I've been surfing for, oh man, 25 years or so. I was out one time surfing. I went out at five o'clock in the morning, 5 a.m. I used to really do this when I was in, in high school. I'd go out early, be out there for ages. I went out surfing one Saturday morning, went out at five o'clock in the morning and I came in at quarter past 10. I'd been out for five hours. I was in a full-length steamer. And so when you first went out, it was really, really cold. But as the sun came up, it got warmer and warmer and warmer. And I had started to get dehydrated. And uh, five hours of surfing in salt water. Salt water's all over. You don't get to drink anything. You just, I was getting so tight. I was so thirsty that not only was the tongue of my mouth sticking to the roof of my mouth, not only was my tongue sticking, you know that little punching bag at the back of your throat? That little punching bag in there, I was so thirsty that that was sticking to the top of my throat. It was, it was like this thing, it was stuck. I was so thirsty, it was stuck. 
And, I, and I'm just wondering, I don't think Jesus was... I don't think Jesus was just saying, I am thirsty because he was actually thirsty. I mean, we're talking about a guy who went out into the desert 40 days and 40 nights with no food, no drink to be tempted by Satan himself. I don't consider myself worthy enough to be harassed by him himself, maybe one of his cohorts, but not Satan himself. Jesus had Satan himself, 40 days, no food, no drinking, no water, nothing. So he knew how to go without. When he's on the cross for a couple of hours and he says, I'm thirsty, I've got a feeling it was a whole lot more to do with what he could give us than what it was to do with what he actually needed. This whole concept, I thirst. We've got to figure out how to live a life that, that brings us into a space, the God space, where we actually live with the well within. That there's got to be something that bubbles up on the inside that helps us get to what God wants for us. We thirst for lots of different things. We hunger for different things. We, it could be something to do with marriage. Um, you, you might be, you've got a picture of a better day. You, you think about where you want marriage to be. Maybe it's some kind of intimacy. Maybe it's got something to do with work or ministry or I don't know, perhaps there's parts of life that you've got this real thirst for and you're really thirsty. You're so dry on the inside and you want this to really work out. Perhaps it's something like that. And God wants that for us, but it's got to come time to a place where it's not just about me and me being satisfied. Surely mature Christianity is where I transition from everything I do to support me and get to a place where I can be a life giver. Where now I'm able to Give others a drink. Jesus on a cross says, I thirst. I got a feeling it was to try and help us to get to a place where we could start to respond to the needs of others. There's this amazing story, amazing story in uh, John chapter 4. If you, if you have a look at this with me, turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. It's the thing you don't hear in Life Church much anymore, this noise. <laughs> You're more here, click, click, click. <laughs> Hey, it's all good. Whatever works for you. Uh, John chapter 4. Can I, can I read a, a large portion of Scripture for us? I want, I want to read a, a bunch of verses because this is it's a phenomenal story. We're talking about thirsting, one of the sayings of Jesus. It, when we talk about this, we, we've got to look at this story because it's phenomenal. John chapter 4. I want to read verse 1 uh, right down to, let's go right down to verse 26. 26 verses. Can we hang in that long? Can we concentrate that long? Can we lean in? Come on, can we engage? Follow with me in your Bible. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Oh, some things just never change in the body of Christ, do they? <laughs> Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Because Jesus is not the competitive type. He's not going to worry about semantics. It's not about getting in caught up with all those things. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Sorry, Jacob's well was there. Joseph's might have been as well, but Jacob's well was definitely there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about 12 noon right now, okay? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? I thirst. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We're getting somewhere with this. This is amazing. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well to drink from itself, as he did himself, and also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answers, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I mean, right there, you start to get the picture of mature Christianity. You've got to go from, I need to feed myself to there is so much in me, everything about me is now feeding you. Okay? Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That is phenomenal. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship what they do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. He didn't reveal himself to very many people. He does to this woman, and I think it's to show us something about thirst. I think Jesus, I think the real thirst of Jesus is actually that we would receive his life and that we'd become life-giving people, that we would learn how to give life to others. And I, I, for the longest time, I've been a Christian for over 25 years, and I did not grow up that way. I did not grow up in a Christian household. I, actually, I got saved. I, I became a Christian at high school in a public state public high school in Australia uh, through scripture coming in, religious education coming into school. And in Australia, we're still allowed to do that, which is quite remarkable. And I heard the message of Christ, the gospel, for the first time. And it took me a number of years to go from everything I need, I need. I need help. I need security. The whole discovery of Christ and the journey of self and getting to a place where not only are your needs met now and I feel strong enough to be able to stand and talk to others, transitioning to a mature place where now I realize it's not about what you can give me. It's not about how you can feed me. It's not about me always needing to get that thirst quenched. Now it's about a well within that bubbles up to eternal life that comes out and feeds everybody. Yeah being a life-giving person. Jesus on a cross. He's on a cross. And he's stuck on a cross. Talk about captivity. And when he says, I thirst, it's not about what we can all do for him. He's trying to give us a deeper picture about the place to get to that everything is about pouring yourself out for others. In this story, there's a couple of things going on. There is the woman's need. Um, you, you see that there in 
Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw, will you give me a drink, Jesus said. There's, the, there's what Jesus was saying he needed. There's what the woman needed. There is, um, verse 10 is beautiful. I, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, we're talking about the seed. We're talking about the seed of creation. We're talking about, in uh, Galatians 3, it talks, and in Colossians 1, it talks about how Jesus is the seed for salvation. He's the firstborn from among the dead come back for us and how through Christ we can now have life. So you've got the seed, the seed of creation, the seed of the woman, which is in Revelation gets chased. So we've got talking about the seed. The seed is there, the incorruptible seed that can germinate life in you. That you don't need to walk around saying, who's going to help me? Who's going to help me? Now you can walk around saying, who am I going to help? Who am I going to help? So you've got the seed right there in this story. And then beautiful right there toward the end, you've got this whole story about the feed. I mean, if you look, this is hilarious. Jesus stops. He rests. There's a woman, has interaction, dialogue. The disciples have gone into town to get food. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Look at this. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? I mean, Jesus is... He's waiting. He's tired. He's waiting. The disciples go in to get the feed. They go in to get the food. They come back and go, we've got the food. And he goes, I've already eaten. They're like, whoa, what's going on here? Has someone slipped him a Big Mac? What is happening? How did he do we, Food that we don't know anything about? And he says, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of the Father. It, this is phenomenal. Jesus is hungry, yet his appetite is quenched and satisfied by doing the will of God. We know your appetite can be lost through negative things, bad things. I went to see a movie once with my wife and my mother and it was so bad, this movie. We were going to dinner after the movie and this movie was so bad that I came out and I was no longer hungry. It was shocking. I'm not even going to tell you what movie it was. I know you want to know, but you're not going to know. It was a bad movie. Just bad stuff going on in this movie. And it was so horrific for me that when I came out, I'd actually physically lost my appetite. There are other things that we're involved in that you can be really, really hungry and you really want to go to Outback. That's where Americans love to take us, Australians. What is it about Americans who want to take us to Outback? I mean, that is just wrong. So you, you, can, you, can, you can be hungry, physically hungry, yet get involved with the Spirit of God in something and all of a sudden you feel satisfied. You feel full. You're like, man, I haven't even eaten, but I feel like I've just had the biggest baby back ribs at barbecue that you can get. You feel so satisfied. There's something spiritually that affects the physical realm. So we've got need, we've got seed, we've got feed. The disciples come back with the feed and Jesus is like, it's all done, man, you missed it. They're like, what's going on? Need, seed, feed. Need requires love. Need always requires love. Jesus saw the need because of his love. Jesus spent, you read through this whole three and a half years dialogue of his life in ministry, just through the Gospels, and you'll see time and time again, Jesus stops and meets a need. Why? Because he loves people. He'd, be, he'd have an agenda. He's on his way to do something else. The ministry-related things. He's on his way to fix something, and on the way he is disrupted by a need. I'd rather say he's disrupted by love. His love for people caused him to detour. And even when things looked like they were delayed and, didn't, and weren't going to work out, 
It was okay. Jesus was like, no, no, I love and I'm going to fix this. It's need. I mean, that should motivate all of us. We should get to a place where no longer is it just about what you can do for me, what can I do for you? We've got we to move. Need is where it starts and need is all, it requires love. It's all about love. I have, I have two kids. I've got a wonderful wife, Julia. We've been married for just over 17 years. And I've got two, we've got two kids, Harmony, who's 10, Eli, who's 8. And they are, they are poles apart, man. Hilarious. And uh, Harmony is a real sweetheart. She's real, real generous already at a young age. Eli is just a bag of beans. He's just so active. And I love that about him. Harmony is so generous. She's, it's, it, there's this real compassionate side. One time we were in, in uh, Paris, downtown Paris. We'd just been uh, visiting our Hillsong church in Paris. And we were walking down the street with some other couples, some other families, some friends. And we kind of got lost in the crowd. We'd given our kids three five-pound notes each that they were able to go shopping with. So that's 15 pounds, which is about $450,000 in Australian. And, <laughs> and uh, so they had these three, three five-pound notes. And as we were walking down the street, there was people everywhere. And I had lost track of her just for a moment. And I'm looking around and I can't find her. And I'm frantic. As a father, I'm, I'm so panicking. And I'm looking through the legs trying to find where she is. And I see just this, a moment, a, a gap opens up. And I see her standing right over near this, near this wall and as I kind of rush through the crowd to try and make sure that no one's grabbing her I walk over and I kind of stop and she's right in front of this well, it's this older woman who looked homeless looked like she had nowhere to go rags and she's kind of sitting there with a little tin and my daughter Harmony has I just got there as she'd pulled the three five pound notes out of her pocket to give to this woman completely unsolicited love sees need Need requires love. There is so much need in our world, and I'll tell you how we're going to meet it, with love. Because if you, if you can't even see it, you can't do anything about it. But you'll only see it if there's love. And it's love that causes us to see need and to be part of the process and helping it. And that's what's so great about Life Church. You're able to see need all around you because of the love, that's the love of Christ that's so deeply within you. So need requires love. Well, what about seed? Seed requires hope. Seed requires hope. Seed is what you put in the ground, hoping that the elements won't destroy it, but it will start to germinate and flourish and grow up. Seed is what we put in. I mean, how many times have you planted a seed? Uh, I've done this with my kids. They've got like school projects. You've got to put a seed in the ground and they've got to wait for it to grow. And you, you kind of put it in and you're like, it's been a whole day and night. And you wake up the next day and you're like, I wonder if it's growing. And you destroy the growth cycle. And so you put it in. It just seems like forever nothing is happening. I mean, oh, it's seven days before anything breaks through. But eventually this little shoot breaks through. Hope is what's required for things that aren't seen. In fact, the Bible says hope that is seen is not hope at all. So hope is what's required for what is not seen. And seed is always the potential of what can be. So we see need because of love. Love is what spurs us on. We see it, but hope says there's a better day. Hope says we can change this. Hope says we can be part of what God's plan is for you. And hope, that's what the seed's about. Seed requires hope. You come back to need. There's always two sides of need. This is the question we have to ask ourselves as believers. In fact, just as human beings, no matter who's watching, and no matter where you are right now around the world watching this online, you've got to think about need from these two perspectives. What side of need are you on? Uh, am I needy or am I needed? 
Am I a needy person, which means you've always got to fix me, or am I needed, which means I'm always called upon? And I believe it says love takes centerpiece in our heart that we shift from needy to needed. And only then can we start to see that the seed requires hope, and it's hope that brings life. It's hope that brings all the potential. Now there's something better. There's something that can happen. Man, you just got to live your life full of hope. The news is going to give us all kinds of reasons why not. All the reasons why we shouldn't. All the things that are going to go wrong. Everything that's probably not going to happen right. But hope says it can work. Hope says Jesus is on your side. That's what hope does. So hope, the seed requires hope. And then what about feed? This whole story is about need, seed, and feed. Well, well need requires love. Seed requires hope. It's obvious then that the only one that's left Feed requires faith. Feed requires faith. And it's the difference between me having my needs met, moving to a place now where I'm needed, and hope allows me to see the potential, the seed, that the, the, the potential in people. And mixed with faith, James says, faith without actions is dead. How can I love God whom I can't see if I can't love my brother who I can see? Faith says, let's make this across the line. Let's move this into action. Let's step this up a gear. And as we come along in Christianity, as we come along the faith journey in Christ, we ought to be going further and further away from what I used to be and more and more of what Jesus is. That's why John the Baptist said, I must become less and he must become more. I must decrease, he must increase. Faith moves us to action. Faith says, not only can I see the possibility, I'm going to be part of the reality. Faith says, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get my hands dirty. There are so many different projects. There are so many different things. In fact, I don't even know at Life Church if there's not something that is available, you should get involved and try and say, how can we make that possible? Through different teams, different ministries. There are so many things that we can do. We can partner around the world. That's what's great, the relationship between Hillsong Church and Life Church. We're able to start looking at different ministries, missions together, different projects, different outreaches. I know when United and, and stuff come to town, we can get involved with evangelistic procedures because it's faith in action. And, and it's, it, it requires faith. Feed. To feed someone requires faith. Can I summarize this whole story by giving you an actual real-life parable of today. This story happened to me just a couple of days ago. I was in Atlanta airport, and I was waiting to go from um, just transiting, really. I just come from, from West Palm Beach and was coming across and just had to stop in Atlanta because of the airline I was on. And so I, as I was waiting at the airport, I was a little bit hungry, a little bit thirsty, so I went to, to get a drink, and as I had done that, I noticed this couple, this older couple, a little bit older than me, maybe 10 years on from me, and, which is still actually very young, isn't it? So <laughs> I noticed this older couple that were, were kind of, there was some tense relationship. There was some, and I couldn't, it kind of looked like they could be married. There was a bit of intensity going on, and I kind of noticed that, but I kind of walked over to get a drink because I was thirsty, and I kind of, as I came back, I noticed that they were still going at it, and it was getting a little bit more intense, and we were in this huge area, big food court in the airport at Atlanta, and there was people everywhere, and they're trying to keep it discreet, but they weren't really working that hard, and so... <laughs> I kind of came over, and because I saw need, because I love people, I saw need, I thought, how do I become needed? 
Because these guys look needy and they look like they need help. So how do I become part of this answer? And as I came over, the reason is because the seed, I mean, there was hope. I, I know there's a better way to do this. I've been married for 17 years. I know there's a greater way to do this. Your marriage doesn't have to end like this. I see this young girl sitting on a chair that's kind of really close to them. And I'm thinking, man, you have no idea about the impact, the influence you're having on this girl who's not even married yet. She's too young to be married, but she's listening you can, within earshot. And so I'm kind of sitting at the table, kind of watching what's going on. I could see this girl sitting there and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I've got to do something. I'm, I'm stirred to action. And so there's this, this love for this situation. There's a hope for a better day. And faith says you've got to do something. And man, this is where I get so challenged. And because faith says you've got to get involved, I'm thinking, well, how am I going to, how am I going to break in? Do you just kind of go, hey, hey, stop, time out. <laughs> get some gloves. <laughs> how, do you, how, do, how do you fix this? So I looked for what would be the appropriate moment, and there actually wasn't an appropriate moment. I had to try and create one. And it was just at the last second where, where I just overheard them saying, well, fine, if that's the way it's going to be, maybe we shouldn't be together. And, and he was talking about 25 years of this. I'm thinking, man, they've been married for a long time. And I've got enough context of the conversation to know this is so destructive right now. So I get up off my chair and I walk over and I go, hey, hey, <laughs> which is Australian for, can I have a chat for a second? <laughs> So I, I, walk, I walk over and I, and I go, hey. And they, they, they turn to me and she's kind of storming off in a huff. And, and I said to the guy, because I actually reckon it's the guy's fault, always. Because <laughs> the guy's got to lead. And if you, got, if you love your wife like Christ loved the church, it means you've got to lay down your life, you've got to die. It's just another story. It's another message, maybe next time. <laughs> I walk up to the guy and I look him straight in the eye and I said, sir, I don't know what's happened, but there is no way that what's going on right now is worth losing 25 years of history. It's always worth working at it. And he kind of goes, yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And as he walked off, this girl stands up and follows, and that's when I realized that was their daughter. I thought, man, that just could have been. That just could have been an encounter right there with this next generation that could have so easily have repeated what was about to come next. Just maybe, just maybe faith, hope and love is all that's required to turn individual stories around. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you so much that your word is powerful, it's true. Jesus, we can only... I, we're going to guess what you were really meaning when you're on the cross that day and you said, I'm thirsty, I thirst. But Lord, we know through the tenor of Scripture, we understand that you're trying to bring all of us to a place where we are so secure and founded in your love. And out of that, we can have a hope for a brighter day and we can have faith to activate and to bring change to our community. And I pray for every person here, every person in all the campuses and all those online, that you would bring us through a journey where we would understand more and more that it's about everything in you, that you would teach us, you would lead us, that you would satisfy us completely, that we'd become whole people, that wouldn't always need to be needy, but we'd get to a place so secure where we'd be needed and called upon. God, give us the grace and the strength and the power to be able to be 
answers for people, to be able to bring life to people and where people are thirsty all around in our communities, that somehow we might be able to bring your grace and your love and your peace in every situation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.